So Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and A, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your, your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It's not the whole, it's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after, after, sorry, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Uh, thanks very much for reading the passage for us. Uh, the, the question that we're going to consider this lunchtime is, is this. How do we make the right decision? Uh, that's the question I reckon that most of us want to know. I mean, CEOs, they pay top dollar to management consultants all around the city to figure out what is the right decision uh, to invest or to divest, to consolidate or to liquidate. And I guess that's why... Um, actuaries and economists are paid so well to pluck historical data into financial models in order to predict the future. And all that effort to come up with the right decision. And of course, it's not only big corporations that um, make decisions. We all make decisions day to day. Some small ones, some really big ones. I say deciding plans for the future, uh, deciding a change of job or, or job scope or big ticket purchases like a car or a home, or a relational decision, um, who do you marry, or how to chart the direction for your family, or decisions about your children, their education. Well, how do we make the right 
decision. Uh, I guess most of us would have a list of factors to, to make the decision. And often we might rope in some expert advice to, to help us. So let's take a, a concrete example. Uh, let's say we're purchasing a house. Uh, you walk into Foxton's and hoping to, to get some good advice uh, with fingers crossed behind your back, uh, hoping that the agent that you get uh, is not someone who, who is shady. And so what are the data, data points for consideration? Uh, well, you have the size of the place, uh, whether it's fit for purpose, uh, you have price, location, is it near, uh, amenities, a park or, or green spaces, perhaps, you know, all coming at a premium these days. And I guess resale value as well. So all really useful factors to, to consider. But let me ask, um, is that all we need to make the right decision? And so perhaps you have a big decision that you have to make in life. What data points are you considering? What factors are you thinking about? Is that all there is? See, the same issue goes with every single decision in life. What are the factors that you're considering to make these decisions? So how do we make right decisions? Before we, we dive into our passage today, a really quick reminder, uh, one of the key concepts to, to remember when we, we look at the Abraham narrative is our passage from last week. Uh, we saw last week about the hope that this world has, uh, the promise, the promise to Abraham. But we, we also said there were two aspects of the promise. Uh, let me share my screen really quickly. Uh, the first aspect that Abraham uh, will be the blessed man. God says to him, I will bless you. But secondly, Abram will be the mediator of the blessing to the nations. God says to him, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Um, so both aspects are really important whenever we think about Abram. And throughout the next 13 chapters in Abram, we'll keep coming back to the promise made to him in chapter 12. And inherent in the second blessing, uh, the second aspect for him to be a blessing to the nations, well, Abraham needs to be obedient to God in order to be a blessing to the nations. Uh, last week, you might remember that Abraham, he, he had a bit of a rocky start. See, God commanded him to go to the promised land and Abraham, well, in verse four, he obeyed and he went. But despite the initial obedience, uh, we saw Abraham wavering quite badly, you might say. Uh, he went out of the promised land into the land of Egypt, and he left his wife in Pharaoh's harem. I mean, that's not how he will be a blessing to the nation. It's only when he's obedient can he accurately represent God and be a blessing to the nation. He can only be a light if he is shining. And so as we track through his narrative, uh, we will learn from his growth in faith, how a faulty lamp can become one that shines brightly. And today in our passage, we see an example of that, an Abraham developing in his faith, uh, particularly when it comes to the issue of decision-making. So how do we make the right decision? Uh, the answer that God wants us to see today is this by using the right pair of eyes, by using the right pair of eyes. 
if you're following the handout, um, you have the handout in the chats or via the email. I'll be on point one, uh, the problem, family, strife. This week, our passage starts out uh, much more positively. Now, Abram, he is back in the land. I look to verse three. And Abram journeyed on from the Negev as far as battle to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between battle and I, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Concerning what we saw last week, Abram being back in the promised land uh, is really significant. Uh, being back in the land is a strong indication that he's trusting in God's promises. And we see him calling upon the name of the Lord. But things don't stay positive for very long. Uh, both Abram and Lot, uh, his, his nephew, they become really wealthy and it causes a conflict between the herdsmen. I look at verse 7. Uh, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. It's the, the classic case of having more money resulting in more problems. You see, in this issue, well, it sets up, um, if you like, an internal test case. Remember, Abram is meant to be the, the mediator of the blessing to the nation. But here the question is, will Abram be a blessing to his own family? Or will he act in a way which represents God's blessing? And that's where we go to point two, uh, the offer. Uh, look at verse eight. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you take the right hand, I will go to the left. Well, on, on first glance, uh, what Abraham seems to be doing here might not be that big a deal. I mean, after all, you might say he is being very practical. But on closer look, uh, we can't help but notice how generous his offer is. See what he says, if you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. And there are no strings attached. You can imagine uh, Abraham's herdsman in the background like groaning in the background. I mean, like what? We spent the past few weeks fighting to benefit his livestock and now he's giving it all up. That's right. And the no strings attached are hugely generous on Abraham's part. And also notice uh, in chapter 13, we see Abraham speaking for the second time so far. The last conversation was with his wife and he said to her, uh, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me. Uh, because of you, my life will be spared. Back in chapter 12, it was all about me, myself, and I. But in this passage, his attitude has been radically changed. Uh, no longer is he behaving in a self-centered way. But more than just his generosity or his um, otherness, this is ultimately about Abraham's trust in the promise. Remember, we need to think everything in the context of the promise made to Abraham. The promise of offspring and land. And the author wants us to see that he is trusting God to carry out the promise of land, whatever, uh, whatever choice Lot would make. 
See, it's his trust in the land that enables him to make the generous offer. See, Abraham here, he is displaying faith in the promise of God. And he's acting out his faith. Well, how did Lot decide? And that's where we come to point three. Uh, by using the wrong pair of eyes. I look at verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was very well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zohar. This was before Lot destroyed the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from one another. What does Lot see? Uh, he sees a place of abundance, like the Garden of Eden, a city of potential, a place that guarantees material prosperity, a place that secures his future. Uh, he can see his dream house, uh, not in the hustle and bustle in, in Sodom, but just on the outskirts of the city. Uh, lots of green spaces for his girls to run and play, well, yet conveniently located to do business in the city. Uh, and with the draw of the city, potential capital upside from buying his house there. And the education options for the girls, the very best public schools for them to attend. Excellent teachers, well-rounded education. And retirement, uh, retirement really looks secure. Uh, the girls, their future, sorted, a solid pension, a steady flow of cash from his investments in the city. Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the city that secures your future. See, all the factors indicate that this location is the perfect choice, right? No wrong. See, there are a few clues that our author is telling us that Lot, he's, he's using the wrong pair of eyes to make this decision. Uh, firstly, we read that the land was like the Garden of the Lord, like the Garden of Eden. You recall uh, when Ed was speaking for us a couple of weeks ago, the previous city that attempted to be like the Garden of Eden was the Tower of Babel. And that didn't end well. Next in verse 11, uh, we notice that Lot, he travels east towards the Jordan Valley. And so far, if you've been tuning in the verse, uh, we know that in Genesis, traveling east is a, always away from the place of blessing. Adam and Eve cast out east of the garden. Cain cast out east of Eden. Uh, thirdly, you might not be aware of the geography. Uh, let me share a picture on, on the screen for you. Um, but the Jordan Valley, where, where Lot went, uh, was right at the edge of the promised land. Uh, you might say that Lot was on the cliff edge, where one more step, he falls out of God's blessing. I flip over to chapter 14, verse 12. And you notice that Lot was dwelling in Sodom. Uh, by chapter 14, he moved out of the land of promise into Sodom. Uh, next, our author, he, he tells us that uh, the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. And lastly, I, I guess uh, most of us would know the eventual demise of Sodom and Gomorrah, a country going up in smoke, destroyed by the Lord. 
and I, and I guess we, we can resonate uh, with Lot um, in some way. I mean, in many ways, his decision makes good and practical and financial sense. You know, it's all the factors that the Foxton agent would suggest for you to consider. Well, a home in Sodom, well, it takes all the boxes. Uh, being, being Singaporean, <laughs> I've been trained by my government with the propaganda that it feeds to me to think pragmatically. And this makes sense, secure your future. And there's nothing wrong with being savvy and, and prudent in our decision-making uh, with the resources that the Lord has given to us. But the, the Foxton agent or the Singapore government, uh, they wouldn't tell you that there are more sig significant factors to consider, uh, factors that you cannot see with your physical eyes. But instead, you need eyes that allow us to see the promise. And that's where we come to point four, to use the right pair of eyes. I look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I will give it to you. Notice in, in verse 10, a lot he, he lifted his eyes to, to see the physical land, the, the, the Jordan Valley. But here in verse 14, uh, the Lord tells Abram to lift up his eyes to see the promised land. Lord, he, he lifts up his own eyes, but God tells Abram to, to lift his eyes. And with only physical eyes, uh, what would Abram have seen? Well, a dry, arid ground, a land without potential, without, without upside. But as he puts on the lens of the promise, uh, what does Abram see? He sees a great multitude a great nation, innumerable offspring, abundant blessing, life with God in the land he promised. It's really worth pointing out that um, Abraham was called to, to see. He wasn't called to close his eyes and to, to make a leap in the dark. See, the description that faith is a leap in the dark, I think is a very unhelpful one. See, God was giving Abraham more data points to, to consider, more evidence to base his faith on. He was called to see more clearly than Lot was seeing. His faith, it wasn't a leap in the dark. It was a step on sure promises of God. It was an act of faith. Please forgive the, the really slightly corny illustration, but I think the narrative is teaching us there are two ways to see the world. Uh, there's, there's Lot's way, uh, if you like. Uh, his lens is what you see with your physical eyes. It's the same lens that any estate, in, in any estate agent in London or the government would persuade you to live your life. Uh, what do you see? This physical earth, the place to plant your roots deep, to invest your life in the here and now, and that will secure your future. But there's another lens, uh, the lens that Abram uses, the lens that God gives us in his word. 
And as you look through this lens, uh, what do you see? Uh, you see a new creation where evil and injustice, wickedness and sin are no more. A place when there's no pain or suffering, a place of abundance, a place of rest and a place of life. And this world, well, it's destroyed in flames like the city of Sodom. Well, last week we were told that the only hope we have in this world is in the promise. But today uh, we are giving we are given a narrative picture of what it looks like to hope in the promise. It is acting today in all areas of life with confidence that God will bring his promises to pass. How do we make the right decision? Well, I think God would say by using the right pair of eyes. A few thoughts of first before we, we head back to work. Uh, in one sense, we are in a different position than Abram. Uh, we're not promised a land in the Middle East, unless, of course, you have a large inheritance waiting there for you. In that case, I, I apologize. But in the same way, like we, we're in a much better position than Abram. We have a promise not of a plot of land along the Mediterranean, but of a whole new creation. We have proof of that promise, and not of an eric, looking at eric ground, but by looking at the resurrected body of Jesus, uh, the first fruits of the new creation. And we have a guarantee of that promise, something better than hearing the direct voice of God that Abraham heard. Uh, we have God's spirit in us, the deposit to secure our future and the new creation. So use the right pair of eyes. I mean, like I said, I'm not saying that we shouldn't consider um, other factors or physical factors when we're making decisions. We want to be savvy about how we use our money. But I am saying that if you believe in Christ, in his death and resurrection, we must put on the, the lens of the promise in all our decisions in life. Uh, we must act today that this world will go and a whole new world awaits. So what would the right decision look like? Well, at the very least, uh, it would look like generous, like Abram. See, as you live lightly on this earth, uh, it will help you to give away more. It will also look like a decision that helps you to grow in, in holiness, a decision that ensures you keep walking on the straight and narrow to reach the end. It will also look like a decision that creates opportunities to share news to the world, uh, the world that this world will be destroyed like Sodom and there will be a promised world to come. You see, no, no Foxton agent would, would tell you, uh, maybe don't buy that house. Uh, you might think twice of spending your money this way because there's a new world awaits. Uh, no Foxton agent would tell you that. So, I mean, there are more to be said about different considerations, uh, but can I encourage you in your discussion groups? Talk through these various options that um, result from putting on the lens of the promise. Any decision you're making, uh, put the lens of promise on. And I can guarantee you that this will make you utterly distinct from the people around you. Uh, they will be stumped by some of the decisions that you make, but it will give you opportunity to be a blessing to them. So how do we make the right decision? By using the right pair of eyes.
Let me pray for us. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Father, we pray and ask that you might help us to put on the lens of promise, knowing that this world one day will go and your new creation will come. Please, will you help us in seeing this world rightly? In Jesus' name, amen.